Hey, glad you're with us. Thank you for being with us and taking time out of your day. The Back Nine Boys Golf Show is brought to you by Mizuno Golf. Reach beyond by Seapalms Resort. Become a member at seapalms.com. By Club Car, the leader in sport, utility, and personal vehicles. By RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our community. And by Bridgestone Golf. Get fitted for your new Tour B ball today. On the show, we're going to talk with author and former Sports Illustrated writer Bob Herrick about his book, Tiger and Phil, plus his conversation with Phil prior to the London LIV event. Then we'll talk with Mac Barnhart of Rock Sports Management about the LIV Tour and how hard and expensive it is to pursue a PGA Tour career. And then we'll talk with Tech 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 Steve Henneman, who will talk to us about their new clear rangefinder, are you ready for this that not only fits on your belt, but could also fit in your pocket? But first up is Rocksport Management CEO Mac Barnhart. Mac and I sat down to hear his thoughts about the LIV tour. Well, Rich, um, I'm in a unique position because I represent professional golfers, and my, one of my jobs is to find opportunities for my golfers. The LIV tour is an opportunity for golfers, and so I'd ha you have to pursue it. You have to take a deep look at it. Um, and you know, from my point of view, it's just another opportunity to play golf for money. Obviously, there's a lot of folks out there that believe that these guys have defected, that they've been betrayed, all this other kind of stuff, that they shouldn't be playing tournaments. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out in the near future. Uh, who knows where that's going to go? What are your thoughts about the USGA, the RNA, the Masters, and all those things that may or may not happen? Well, I, I, this is a precarious situation. So, the PGA Tour doesn't own any of the four majors. Um, you know, the PGA, I've, I've said it all and on, I'll say it a thousand times. The PGA Tour has done an incredible job. They have an incredible courses, rules officials, take care of the players. They have an incredible. A retirement fund, um, and I think they have an incredible product. You know, they've given three billion in, in three billion dollars in charities. Um, but at the glimpse of this competitive league coming out, the tour started finding other monies to start paying popular players and stuff like that. I, I didn't like that. I, I was like, wait a minute, you're doing a great job. You've already done a great job. Let people pick where they play. And if they don't want to, if they don't want to be a part of this great endeavor, then don't worry about it. So when that started, it, it made me pause. Um, as far as guys defecting, um, look, I mean, this happens all over sports, all over times you have. And now with the NIL deals, you're going to see college kids defecting to colleges. But you see people play for the Oakland A's, and then they go to the New York Yankees for 10 times the amount of money. And so this has been going on for a long time. I don't know. I mean, I've read the rules of the PGA Tour. Uh, I know what kind of rights they have. But let's go, let's be honest, uh, what rights they have, if they've never been challenged, we don't know. And the courts will probably end up deciding it. And that's unfortunate that it has to go to that level. Uh, I was asked a question the other day, uh, what do you think, what is the state of the PGA Tour? And what do you think of golf in general? I think golf's still in a good state. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's an incredible state. I, mean, I don't know if it was COVID or what, but I mean, participation in golf is off the charts. More people are playing it. Uh, instructors here at Frederica Golf Club, I mean, these guys are busy from <laughs> light to dark. Um, so I think it's been incredible. Um, but 
I think when when the tour has had PJ Tour has had you know they're the number one tour in the world. Um, it used to be the European Tour. Um, you know, every so often you're going to have an Uber hop into your business and disrupt how your business is, and you may have to respond to that. So I think it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's great for golf to have all this turmoil, but I think it's great for golf to maybe go take another look at itself and say, where are we as a competitive sport, and are we doing the things that maybe the way we should do it? All right, Phil Mickelson has obviously been one of the front runners, along with DJ and a couple of others as far as going to the LIV Tour. Phil made some comments early on. He's in an interesting place in his career, but he still says, I still want to play on the PGA Tour. Do you have any thoughts or comments of whether or not that may or may not happen? You know, I, I think that is a I, that is going to go to court. I, in my opinion, I'm not an attorney, but I would imagine that's going to go to court whether they have the right to do it. Because um, from my point of view, I look at it as this: you're a sponsor of a tournament, and you're paying ten million dollars to be the sponsor, and you want the biggest draws you can take to bring in the most crowds, and so they have sponsor exemptions um, that they can give to anyone. I mean, we fight for our young guys to get those. You know what keeps these tournaments inviting Phil Mickelson because well, they invite non-members all the time to play on sponsors. On a sponsor exemption. That right. are another, they, right. I guess it's, you know, uh, they're called, some of them are, they have membership and some of them are just open. So right. um, what would keep them from Monday qualifying? Um, I doubt they do that. Um, but I don't know. I think that's just a, that's a really funny question because I don't think the sponsors that are paying all the money, I don't know if they would, let's, I mean, anybody, if, to make their draw bigger, because I know how hard they work to get the best fields they can to bring in. I mean, I've seen them bring in, you know, baseball players that really can't play just to heighten the excitement of the tournament. Right. Um, so that's a, it's just going to be an interesting thing. I don't know. It's never been challenged. All right, you have one of your players that played in the LIV tournament. What have you heard from him about playing in that tournament? Uh, yeah, well, Andy Ogletree, was, he had a conditional membership on the Corn Ferry uh, his number wasn't good enough. He hasn't played in a Corn Ferry event this year. And so in that, I was trying to find him some tournaments to play in. And there's the Asian Tour, which is, took a lot of investment from the same folks as Live Golf, um, had a lot of events. And so I was talking to them about Andy playing in some Asian events, um, and which I think would be great. I'm just looking for world ranking points. I'm looking to just get him on the golf course. And then somehow, I guess, the Live thing came up, being the U.S. Amateur Champion, uh, and they gave him a one-time invite. It was just one week. Uh, Andy hadn't played golf in about two and a half months. He had had a little bit of a back injury, but even that, he just wasn't getting any tournaments. So he was super rusty. So he played horrible, uh, and he wasn't happy about that. But as far as the experience, um, they paid all his expenses. They put him in a five-star hotel. They treated his caddy better than anybody treats him. They, they had nothing but great things to say about it. So he goes, I just, he goes, besides playing like crap, it was a lot of fun. Mac, coming out of college, how hard is it for a good golfer out of college to make it in the mini tours to try and get their dream of being on the PGA Tour? It's expensive. It's beyond expensive. Um, and it's, and statistically, I'm not sure you wouldn't be better off buying scratchers out of your local Lodo office. <laughs> Lodo office. Um, I mean, you're looking – I mean, people don't understand in other sports – baseball basketball football kid comes out of high school he's a 
playing high school football. He's a star. He gets drafted by college. College, they promote him all up, and then he gets drafted by the uh, NFL or whoever. And, I mean, all those times he's being supported of whatever he needs. He's probably not coming out of pocket. He's probably not eating well. Now we have these NIL deals, they will. But but they, they, could, they could go in and start making a living. That is not true in golf. I mean, there are so many guys – that are so good that will never have the opportunity to get out there because they don't have the financing. And people say to me, well, if they can't play for money, they can't handle the stress. I said, well, that's not true either. I mean, I mean, to get through Q school, I would imagine it's probably when you add in the Q school application fee and the traveling and the caddy and the training and the teaching, it's a $20,000 endeavor just to get your corn fairy card. Now you got a corn fairy card and you're going to, your first two of tournaments are in Bermuda, I mean in uh, the Bahamas. And then you're going to go to South America, and then you're going to start traveling around, flying, because, you know, that tour was meant to be driven and to keep the cost down, but it is not down. Um, it's expensive, uh, and now with the inflation we have, airfares are up 30%. So, no, most golfers, I mean, there's a lot of golfers that will never have a chance because they're not financially in a place to do it. And, and it's kind of sad. Um, that and then you play that hard and you put that money and you invest it and people go and then look at the rewards you reap um and you reward you you get a you reward is to get on to the pga tour now you gotta go play the best players in the world every week and spend twice as much money so no it it's crazy hard and i think that's why most of these guys most of the players on the PGA Tour come from somewhat of a fluent background. And, or they were lucky enough to have a sponsor at a local club help them. But without those two things, you've got no chance of making it. That is Mac Barnhart, CEO of Rock Sports Management. He and Davis went to school together, and uh, that's how they started out working together. Next up is a rangefinder that fits in your pocket. We're going to talk with Steve Heineman right after a message about pizza. So how do you spell pizza? I spell it with just three letters. C-J-S. C-J's. That's right, C-J's Italian restaurant. They have the best deep dish in the area, best thin crust as well, made with fresh ingredients every day. Their eclectic decor and great customer service welcomes you into their place across from Parker's on Mallory Street on the island. CJ's Italian Restaurant also serves salads with freshly made salad dressings, subs. Check out their entire menu at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Dine in or take out seven days a week. They open every day at 4.30. Locally owned by Graham and Ada Owens, cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Hi, this is Adam Shupak with Golf Week Magazine, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Glad you're with us. You know, there's a lot of range finders out there that you can buy, but not many can fit on your belt or, more importantly, in your pocket. Our next guest is Steve Heineman of Tech Tech Tech. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Good morning, Rich. Doing great. Thank you. How are you? I am doing great, and I'm glad you're with us. Uh, tell us about this small than most range finder. It's called Clear. I like the name because it kind of helps you with the visual, but uh, tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. Yeah, it's a uh, you know, small package, but it has all the features and benefits that you need. Um, you know, it has slope. It has a slope on and off feature, which is this slideable button here on the front. Um, so basically you just cover the, 
the, the yellow color to turn the slope off. Um, it's got the built-in magnet on the back, has target lock vibration, has scan mode, you know, comes with lots of bells and whistles, including um, it, we make it wearable. So this is a belt clip. You just put that on your belt and or your bag, and you can, you know, magnetize it to whatever that clip is, is attached to. So we made it small so that it would be wearable uh, without discomfort, you know, having some heavy, you know, product on your belt is never good when you're playing golf. So um, we made it small, compact, lightweight, so that it would be wearable uh, for those that want to use that feature. And the clip that you can clip it to, you can put it on your belt or even put it on the on your bag. When you're Correct. going over some bumps that a lot of people may not see as they're driving the golf cart, how stable would it be at that point? Very stable. So okay. we so I have it attached to the clip right here, and we you know we've done all kinds of drop tests okay. on it. We've you know, used it on the course many rounds before we would launch a product. So I figured you would, we, yeah. we put it on the, on the post of the cart and run it all over the place, up and down bumps. And, you know, we've tried to find the biggest holes in the course to run over and make sure that the, uh, the magnet does not uh, disconnect. Well, that's always a good thing. One of the biggest advantages though, that you didn't say is the price. I mean, the price point is fantastic. It is. And we're very happy about that. Yeah. one ninety nine. Um, you know, so like, you know, it has all the features of the big brands that are, you know, one hundred, two hundred dollars uh, more expensive, um, but at a much lower price point. So we wanted to, you know, give this innovation and this, you know, size package to everybody, and uh, and that price point we think does that. And color-wise, uh, they have some choices to make when. Sure. Yeah, you know, there's three colors available. The black that I'm holding, we have a kind of a bright yellow, uh, which has been doing very well. It's actually our best selling right now. And then we also have white. Um, you know, the, the, the downside to the black is it, most golf carts, the post is black. Yes. So it blends, kind of in. blends in. Yeah. Right. And since it's small, you know, that's going to be an issue for a lot of people. But if you're going to wear it or if you're a walker, black is obviously not a big deal. Um, but the yellow has just been doing very well. I think just because there's, as far as I know, there's no other yellow golf range finder out there. So um, it's been doing very well and people like it a lot. Yeah, definitely would stand out. So would the white one, but you're right. That black would kind of blend in and somebody will say, whoops, I left my range finder in the cart. Exactly. Yeah. We want to try to avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get along too long, give us your website so our folks can go to it. Sure. US.techtechtech.com. So we are you know, an international company like a lot of companies these days. Uh, the founders are from France. They live in in Asia now at the factory. So, um, you know, we're definitely an international company that started that way and we've kind of expanded, you know, east since then. Um, so, you know, in the US, you know, our sales started really in Japan and on amazon.com. Hmm. And uh, in recent years, we're kind of obviously trying to grow our, our US business as well. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of international business for us and we're trying to expand beyond that. In your research, Steve, when you were doing the research and you were kind of coming out with another product, thinking about it, and your team was kind of getting together, what did you find that led you to develop the clear rangefinder? Um, the biggest thing is size and the weight of it. You okay. know, there's some some very good rangefinders out there. I mean, there's a lot of good rangefinders, and and um, you know the the best ones, you know, in my opinion, are a little bit heavy, a little bit bulky. Yeah, and we wanted to do something opposite of that you know kind of trying to swim upstream a little bit and do something different so that we could find a space on the shelf you know as you as you alluded to there's tons of range finders out there yep. for us to get a spot on the shelf at a, at a retailer we have to be different 
And the way we did that is, is designing a very compact rangefinder, very lightweight rangefinder and a wearable rangefinder. So that is our, our niche, you know, and I'm sure there's already been a couple of companies that have come up with a, a clip of their own um, since we launched it. But, you know, we want to do some things differently and hopefully get credit for that uh, so that we could find a way onto the shelves. And also, don't forget about the ball marker. Exactly. Uh, thank you very much for reminding me. Yeah, this is a, a ball marker that comes on the front of the case. And it, it blends in so well that, you know, most people might not even see it. And the best way to get it off is to slide it up. But when you buy the, the package, uh, you know, the, the clear package, it comes with a sleeve with the ball marker in it. So, um, you know, for those of you that, that purchase it, we hope there's a lot uh Look, in, look at the sleeve inside the case yeah. um, to find your ball marker. And then once you get it out of the sleeve, then you can magnetize it to the front. Awesome. And this all, the other cool part about it is this ball marker will also magnetize to the cart pole. So the magnet is in the ball marker. Not, it's not just um, relying on the magnet on the case. So you right. can actually put it on the, on the golf cart with your rangefinder yeah. if you'd like. Gotcha. All right. So... In the research that you've done, and, you know, we've all used a lot of different rangefinders. You know, we look through them. Sometimes we find it difficult to find the pin because of, we're, we're just too far away. But uh, <laughs> what do golfers want from a rangefinder? They just want to point, click, get the yardage, and go? Exactly, and quickly. You know, so you don't want to. Some of the less expensive rangefinders out there uh, just take a little while. They take three, four seconds, yeah. which is a lot of time in a lot of people's opinion, um, to find the target. Or you might sit there and be scanning back and forth and it just can't pick up the flag, especially, like you said, from a further distance. So, you know, ours is extremely quick. It, it's almost instantaneous. Um, the other really cool feature that gets overlooked that we're not the only ones with it, but um, scan mode is pretty cool. So there's basically three modes for this rangefinder: The front button with an M on it, you know, siphons through the, the modes. The second mode is, is a scan mode and you can actually hold down the, the trigger slash power button and scan from left to right or right to left, whether you want to get the trap, you know, the, the water and the pin, you can get all those measurements with one shot, one continuous shot, um, which is pretty cool because you can yeah. obviously, you know, hit all of those targets and know where you want to miss. If you do miss, um, you know, with, with the, benefit of the rangefinder. So. Of course, a lot of caddies and a lot of the pros say they never see water. They never see the sand, even though that's they may end up in true. the sand or yeah. the water, but we're not <laughs> supposed to be looking at that. We're supposed to be looking beyond that. Exactly. If you happen to want to look at it, if it's a beautiful <laughs> you know, pond, you know, check it out and, and see how far away it is. Yeah. So <laughs> separating yourself from the others, it's lightweight, it's, it's, it's small, it fits on your belt or in your pocket. It's got all the features, and there's just an awful lot of competition. How are sales going so far? They're going well. It's, you know, the retail environment, especially, you know, if, if any of your audience is watching the news right now, is tough. You know, uh, you know, all kinds of talk of recession and things like that. So it's, it's, um, yeah. it's a tough market right now in general, and I think that probably all golf companies would, would agree a little bit uh, with that. And, um the biggest thing with retail is building trust, you know, so I've been in the industry for a while and that has helped us, you know, quite a bit. Right. But, you know, most buyers at a retailer are going to want you, 
want to see you around for a while. So it's almost like they want to go through a cycle, make sure that you st- you're still here. You know, right. you're at the PGA show last year. Are we going to be there again next year? They'll right. visit us again. You know, it's essentially a three to six month cycle for a lot of these retailers to add you to their retail shop. Um, so that's the biggest hurdle is just is time and patience. And that's what we're, you know, we have to deal with that. But at the same time, we have a very healthy cushion to fall back on being Amazon. Uh, you know, three years ago, we were the number one selling range finder on Amazon. Hmm. Since then, there's been an influx of, of competition, right. Right. which has leveled it out a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're doing very well on Amazon. We do very well in Japan. Um, so those are kind of the, the crutches that we use to get us to the next retail cycle that we're working through right now. But at the same time, we've had several retailers you know, add us. We're in all Dick Sporting Goods. We're in American Golf, all stores in the U.K., um, so, you know, it's happening and, uh, it can never happen as fast as you want, but it's, we're doing very well. Yeah. Well, that's, that's always good. So what's next for tech, 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 what are some of the things, or can you relay on any of the things that you guys are looking at for the future? Sure. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of tech, you know, our, our name kind of says it all. Uh, it's obvious what we like to specialize in. Um, you know, our, our founders, two brothers from France are, are engineers by trade and, you know, they're, they're optics people, you know, they're big surfers. They developed, you know, essentially a equivalent to the GoPro many years ago. And that's where we want to continue to be strong uh, is technology. So we have all kinds of, you know, smart technology coming out. And, you know, there's lots of speakers out there. I think we'll probably have a speaker coming pretty soon. Okay. Ours is going to be different, of course. Um, so I hope everyone looks forward to, to seeing that probably within the next three months. We'll have that. How so? Um, Can you tell us? What's that again? How so? How how will your speaker be different? Uh, if you can take some hints from the from the clear, it's gotcha. going to be small, compact, and it's going to have some uh, magnetic features that nobody else has, um, uh, and some general features that nobody else has. So okay. it's just uh, we you know music on the golf course has become norm. It and, has. Uh, we can't just come out with a speaker. If we came out with a speaker, yeah nobody would give us any credibility. So yeah. ours is going to be different. It's going to be smaller, compact, lightweight, maybe even wearable, you know, if you follow along. Um, so it's uh, interesting, an exciting product for us. And, and we're going to go well beyond that. We have lots of ideas and R and D is working hard. So. so you'll have a range finder on one hip and a speaker on the other. Exactly. Kind Old like fashioned the, cowboy. I was cowboy just going to say like the old West. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, thanks so much for taking time to be with us. Uh, always a pleasure to, to see you, talk to you, um, see you at the PGA show, if not sooner. Definitely. I really appreciate it, Rich. Thanks to the audience for listening in, and uh, I hope to see all of you very soon. All right. Steve Heineman from Tech Tech Tech, a great product, uh, coming out with some more, so uh, stick to it, ustechtechtech.com. Find out more. After the break, Bob Herrick, who wrote for Sports Illustrated for quite a long time, is going to be with us. He wrote a book called Tiger and Phil. And he'll talk to us about that, all the research that he did, plus his last conversation with Phil prior to the live event. Are you looking for new clubs? Well, you'd need to try the new Mizuno 922, 923, or 925s that are coming out or already here to improve your game. These new Mizuno irons help you reach beyond, and then you can add to and take a look at the Mizuno driver, the fairway metals, the hybrids are incredible, and you're on your way to your game improvement They've also got some new models of putters. Take a look at those. And where can you do that? On MizunoGolf.com. Check it out at MizunoGolf and reach 
beyond. Hey, this is Bo Van Pell from the PGA Tour, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Our next guest is Bob Herrick, Sports Illustrated golf writer, author of a book, Tiger and Phil, now with SI.com. Good morning, Bob, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, the book, uh, phenomenal. I know you've walked many, many holes with Tiger and Phil and probably have more stories than you could probably put in the book, but what prompted you to write a book about this dynamic duo? Yeah, I should be in a lot better shape considering all the golf holes I've walked. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the impetus came in 2019 after Tiger won the Masters. And, you know, I just kind of thought, what a, what a great cap to a career if that was it. And, and I, I, I just sort of started poking around a little bit and recognized that nobody had really explored the intersection of Tiger and Phil. And they were the top two names in the game for 25 years. Yeah. Now, there, there were people who took their shots at them and came along, like Retief Goosen or Ernie Els, VJ Singh, a lot of great players, Jim Furyk, uh, Padraig Harrington. But, you know, those were the two that kind of withstood everything. And, you know, they both were phenoms as kids. They both were highly touted. They both exceeded expectations beyond anybody's dreams. And they... They had a bit of a prickly relationship. There, there was some tension there, some, you know, some pettiness at times, some churlishness, some, uh, you know, childishness maybe. You know, uh, just it wasn't egregious. It was just kind of, you know, they didn't get along that well. Mm-hmm. And it's probably normal in, in a situation where two guys are fighting for the same thing. And so I just felt like bringing that all together and telling all the stories along the way, their greatness highlighted along with some of their disappointments made sense. And, Bob, when you're doing all this research and then you put out the book, I'm sure there's some things that you didn't put in there that you wished you did, but what was one of the most interesting things, let's say, first about Tiger uh, that you thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that before? Yeah, you know, that's good. I think I knew more about Tiger than I did Phil, um, probably because <clears throat> there's been so much said about him and written and, 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 and things like that. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I think maybe there were some little stories I learned uh, that are in the book that kind of highlighted that, you know, Tiger didn't mind sort of keeping Phil in his place. Right. So he there was just these little incidents that spoke to the competitiveness of him. He wasn't going to let him get close. They weren't going to be pals. Right. And, you know, whereas on the Phil side of that, I think in exploring it, I came to appreciate just how good he was uh, before Tiger was really good. I mean, you know, Phil was four or five years older. He, um, you know, he, he won everything as a, as a junior, as an amateur. He still holds the record for most AJGA wins. He, he won a, uh, a PJ Tour event as an amateur while he was a junior at Arizona State. Tiger never did that. Right. You know, you can put their, their junior and amateur records side by side, and if you didn't know who they were, you might say Phil would have had the better pro career. 
So um, so those are some of the things I learned, obviously, along the way. There's backstories to all of their wins, things that, you know, we learned after the fact that I tried to bring forth. And uh, uh, it was a a long but fun project. Well, one of the things that I think a lot of people really know about Tiger is his mental aspect. It's far superior when he was in his prime than most others. And Phil, at times during his career, it seems like his mental, his thinking while he was on the course was not really where it should have been. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we've seen Tiger's mental capacity here just this year. Right. I mean, to be able to get through uh, the Masters and what he did at the PGA Championship just to make the cut, you know, takes some mental fortitude. I mean, he clearly... You know, he's clearly driven unlike most people. And Phil was too, but, you know, Phil's attention to detail and probably, you know, that extra little, you know, motivation might not have quite been the same. But, you know, I say that and look at his record. You know, he was incredibly successful. 45 PJ Tour wins is... 20 plus more than anybody active today other than tiger right so it's just a it's just a phenomenal accomplishment especially in the tiger era you know there there weren't as many tournaments to go around and he still got his share yeah and so i asked you what was something that maybe stood out from your relationship with tiger what stood out that you may not have known before about phil I think the main thing was just how good he was before he turned pro. Um, you know, that sort of preceded my time, and and so much is discussed about Tiger as a kid. Winning, you know, he's on TV shows when he was five years old. He 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 won the three straight U.S. Amateurs, you know. But Phil did a lot of great stuff too. I think that's what stood out is in okay. researching it. I came to recognize, you know, he was Tiger before Tiger. You know, he, he was recruited to colleges when he was a freshman in high school. He, you know, he, he could have probably turned pro when he was, you know, Tiger turned pro at 20. He skipped his last two years of college. If Phil had done that, how many more times might he have won? Yeah, good point. You know, I, you know so, uh, you know, maybe he adds a few more wins because he clearly was capable. He won one as a junior in college, so... Um, I think that aspect of it is something that stood out to me that I learned about him. How accessible, Bob, while you were writing the book, were they with their unbelievably hectic, busy schedules? Um, did, did you do most of your talking to them on the phone, or were you able to get with them quite a bit face one-on-one? <laughs> For the book's Specifically, not at all, frankly, unfortunately. Um, uh, I started the project at the beginning of the pandemic. So for three months, there was no golf. Okay. And when we came back to golf in 2020, we couldn't get near these guys. You know, and in truth, the Tiger wasn't going to help me for a book. I mean, not it wasn't like contentious or anything, but... He was at the time in the process of doing his own memoir and was contractually prohibited from helping anybody with a book. Okay. I fully expected to, 
be able to have a chance to ask him questions here and there, and I'm sure he would have answered them. But obviously then his car crash got in the way. And, and so when we came back to golf in 2021 is when I kind of thought that those opportunities might exist. Phil never said no to helping me with the book, but we just never, you know, we never made it happen. And that was because <clears throat> basically he put me off a couple times and then it just, I, I ran out of time. Right. You know, and I think he sort of regrets that now, given what's all happened. Because my book was not meant to, it was more glorifying these guys. It was, it was about their careers and the intersection of their careers. And there was some, I think, some key moments he could have helped with a little bit that might have enhanced the story. But, right. you know, I, I interviewed over 150 people for the book. It, when you're going to do something like this, you really have to get the people who were there as opposed to just the, the two guys because their memories and their what they're willing to disclose might not exactly be the same. Well, you were able to talk to Phil at a time that maybe not a lot of other people were. The, the other book came out uh, about him, and uh, he was on his way to the LIV event in London. What was that conversation like for you, and how do you assess where he was at that particular time based on all the things that have happened? Yeah, that was a little bit surreal, to be honest with you. You know, Phil had gone into hiding basically for four-plus months. Yep. And, you know, just like a lot of other people in what I, in my line of work, you reach out just to see if there's any chance. Right. You know? um, I had texted his agent once or twice, not a lot. I didn't expect much. Um, I think I sent actually one text to Phil himself. Um, I never got a response. Um, and I was keeping in touch with the live folks. Um, and I let them know, hey, if he's willing to do an interview before he goes over there, and this is when we were hearing that he was going to do it. Right. And it all came together very late. I said, hey, look, you know, if he's willing to do something, I'd love to do it. You know, because sometimes these guys want to get out in front of a big media conference. It, right. It just so it sort of helps use it a little bit and um so as it turned out on the day that he signed which was the monday of the live week actually just what 12 days ago right um he i got word as i was getting ready to go to london myself that he was willing to do it so hmm. i had a uh, i live in florida and i had a two-hour layover in detroit and that was the time that we did it. And it was pretty, you know, pretty quick. 20 minutes, I think, is what I had. And, um, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a series of questions that I had, had written down, you know, I thought covering the, the main points. I was told I, I was not precluded from asking him anything. I could ask him what I wanted. And so I did. I asked him every question I had, and he answered them all. Now, some of them... He might not have answered the way we'd like, but at least he, he gave an answer. I thought it was interesting how he talked about the gambling and he admitted the addiction and talked about being embarrassed. Um, he was clearly wanting to talk and get it out there. I'll bet, yeah. Because he knew what was coming. Yeah. You know, and if you've seen 
the, the few interviews since, you know, the, the main one in London and then the one here at the, at the U.S. Open on Monday, you know, they were pretty tense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, I understand the questions. They've got to be asked. But, unfortunately, there's not a great answer to any of them. I mean, if you are against what he's doing, there's nothing he can say that's going to, that's going to appease you. Right. You know? And, um, you know, he's not going to come out and be vehemently opposed to the Saudi regime when indirectly he's being paid by them to play in this golf league. Right. And, and he's probably not going to just come out and say, hey, I don't care about all that stuff. I'm doing it for the money. You know, so the answer, <clears throat> the answer lies somewhere in between, and it's just not going to be satisfying to people. Yeah. Understand, and uh, I've got a lot of other questions for you, Bob. We've got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with Bob Herrick, the author of Tiger and Phil, right after this on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Stay with us. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dan Murphy. I'm thrilled to be on the Back Nine Boys. I am the president and CEO of Bridgestone Golf. been in the business for about 25 years, and I've learned that Rich Styles and the Back Nine Boys are the way to go. Way to go, you betcha. Well, we are going with Bob Herrick of SI.com, author of Tiger and Phil. Uh, Bob, how extensive did Phil get into any details about his gambling issues? I know the media said it was close to $40 million. All he said was that he had had a problem that, that this goes back years. He didn't suggest the problem is now, that's go. Um, when I asked him about if he was doing this, um, or excuse me, because he was in financial distress, he he quickly shot that down. He said, "Look, my family and I." Yeah, Bob, you're cutting out a little bit. I don't know if you're moving around or something, but we were good for a couple of minutes there. My apologies. That's okay. Um, um, what I was saying was he he didn't get into the details of how much money he owed. Okay. Um, he tried to suggest or did suggest, you know, he said um, that he didn't do it for reasons because he owed a lot of money for gambling. He, he basically explained that he was, he had had a gambling problem a long time ago. It's an ongoing struggle. You know, he, he, he'd like to do that. Um, he was embarrassed that it became public, that it was such a problem. Uh, but he tried to diffuse the idea that any of this had to do with, you know, debt or, or money owed. Okay, okay. Uh, well, that's obviously the media is going in that direction. Let me ask you this, Bob. Do you think the media has been fair to Phil during all this situation over the last four or five months? Well, I mean, I guess I could answer that two ways. He said what he said, and it was, it was, you know, it was pretty damning. Right. It was very harsh on the PGA Tour. Um, he, he kind of, you know, said the quiet part out loud about the Saudis. Now, his intention, and I believe him, was that that wasn't going to be published. And ah, we okay. get into the whole dynamics of stuff that's off the record and on the record. The bottom line is he should have made darn sure it wasn't going to be printed. 
And if he really was afraid of something like that getting out, he shouldn't have said it. Right, right. So, you know, there's that side of it. The side where I think it's unfair to him, there were 10, 12, 15 guys lined up in February ready to do this. And they all had their toes over the edge of the cliff, ready to jump. Right. And as soon as Phil said what he said, they all retreated. Yeah, and they put their backing behind the PGA Tour. Right, and he was left out there alone, dangling over the cliff. Right. And that's where I think he's been wronged. Because there's a lot of guys, and now we're seeing it. Dustin Johnson signed up. Bryson DeChambeau signed up. You know, some lesser guys, but still prominent names. Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood. Louis Oosthuizen finished finished second or third in three majors last Yeah. You know, I mean, so a lot of guys were either close to doing it or have since done it, and Phil's the one taking all the grief. Yeah, and now there's talk of Kepka, Morikawa, Fowler, uh, Scheffler, I mean, uh, or Sheffley, sorry, um, all expected to go. Um, I mean, there's going to be these things, and obviously money is the number one reason why they're going. Sure, it's a, it's a heck of a lot of money, and and <clears throat> look, I'm not saying I, I, I agree necessarily with what they're going, what's going on here. I think this is very divisive for golf. Yeah. But there's a reason it got to this point. And the reason it got to this point is because there's no guaranteed money in golf. You have to earn everything you make. Right. And while that sounds great to all of us who watch, it's not so great for these guys who, you know, feel that they bring some value to events, and if, if they don't perform, they get nothing. Yeah, well, let me and, ask... And for, last few years they've had that drummed into their heads that you deserve something right bob do you think the pga tour jay monahan in particular has been correct in their stance i mean drawing a line in the sand that if you sign you are no longer going to be on the pga tour it's probably going to go to court but do you think the pga tour has been i mean correct in their stance it's another tough one because if they leave even a crack open, then that allows guys to go do it. Yeah. You know, and and while it's going to be painful in the short term, because you could have guys do both, frankly, you could. It's right. possible. It's not easy, but you could. Well, they've played other tournaments. Sure. Um, so he probably did what he had to do. Yeah. So, to but what wasn't done was get out in front of this and figure out a way to make these guys happy. I mean, look, the PJ Tour is terrific. We've got I, I about to... 30 seconds, Bob. Okay, I have to with that. But there are some flaws. Yeah. There are, there are some things that players would like to have done better. There are some formats that they might like, and there might be some guaranteed money possibilities that have not been brought forth. Yeah. And so that's what led to all this. Yeah. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for being on. Great book. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us about Tiger and Phil, most importantly, LIV. Have a great day, and hope we can call on you again. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. All right. Bob Herrick, uh, SI.com, former writer for Sports Illustrated. You've been listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Hear us every week on ESPNCoastal.com.